First John 4. We're going to go verses 1 through 6 this evening. That's our text. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, who, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And Father, it's our prayer tonight that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. The spirit of truth would confirm to us truth. And that you would guide us and steer us away from the spirits of error and from falsehood and lies. So Father, build this group here in full confidence and assurance in their love for you and your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, real quick recap of 1 John. What this book aims to do is to give you as a Christian assurance that you have eternal life. That when you die, you're going to be with Jesus in heaven. That's what John needs to do, is give you assurance of that fact. Not assumptions. Because that's the way most Christians, I know from my experience in high school, and from those I talk to, not, not like necessarily all you, but I talk to a lot, it seems like they walk in the assumption that they are truly saved. Yeah, I hope so, or they live a certain lifestyle that doesn't seem to prove beyond all reasonable doubt that they truly are saved. So First John sets up this list, this criteria, and says, if you match this, you have assurance. If you don't, you don't have assurance. Um, assurance, you know, it makes life a lot more fun as a Christian. If you are an unassured Christian, you have a, a rough time with your faith. That's what I see a lot of the tension in in youth is they don't have assurance so they don't have enjoyment in their faith. If I jumped out of an airplane right now with a backpack on my back and I wasn't sure if it was a, a school backpack or a parachute, that's not going to be a fun trip down to the ground at all. <laughs> We're sitting there freaking out the whole time. Is this going to open? Is this going to open? But if I know these, I packed it properly and the chute is in there and I put it on my back I know this thing's going to open. Skydiving can be the funnest thing in the world. Ken, I, I, no way. But for the daredevils, it could be fun. Because I'm going to be the person that's sitting there, no matter how much you guarantee to me the shoot can open, I'm going to be that one freak, like the guy that ends up on TV. I'm going to be that guy. I know it. But assurance, when you have assurance, things are more enjoyable. And that's the same thing with your faith in Christ. So that's what John's aiming to do. Now what we've seen is your assurance comes primarily through your love for Jesus. If you love Jesus, you are assured that you have eternal life. And we've looked at for mm, seven or so weeks at what it means to love Jesus. It's all been expounded through the chapters and the verses. 
Now he shifts gears and says there's one more condition for assurance. Yes, to love Jesus. Second, is to love one another. And this is often where we fall much shorter. To love one another, it must be done. Real Christians love. Those who are only assuming their salvation walk around indifferent to each other, all about themselves, and they never give acts of love to one another. For example, our passage last week showed us what it looks like to love one another. John said that it's the same thing Jesus did for us. He gave up his life, laid it down for us. That's how we know love, he said. And we ought to do the same thing. Now, you guys will remember from last week that that does not mean I right now take a bullet for all you guys just to prove my love. You guys want to know if I love you? Yes, we want to know. Okay, bam! And everyone sees my dead body and says, he truly loves us. Wow, what a guy. That's stupid. <laughs> Unnecessary. Harder than that, because I believe real Christians would have no problem giving up their life for somebody when it came down to it. So harder than that is to lay down your life daily for people. And John told us that the way you lay down your life is to give up your possessions. To give up your time. To give up your energy for one another. That is how you lay down your life. It's that sacrificial generosity to help each other in need. So it's an active action. That's what it means to love one another. That's what he said in chapter 3. So we come to chapter 4... And we have what appears to be a huge tangent, like all of our teachers. They'll be talking about English, and then you ask a question about baseball, who's going to win the World Series, and they'll go off for ten minutes about that. Right now, <laughs> some of my teachers definitely did that. It seems like that's what John does here. So we're talking about, if we love one another, we have assurance of eternal life. But all of a sudden, John starts talking about spirits and right spirits and wrong spirits and confessing Jesus and not confessing Jesus and what in the world does that have to do with anything? Then in verse 7, he picks back up the theme. Beloved, let us love one another. So we're kind of like, what, what do we do with these six verses here that seem to just be rudely inserted in the middle of a thought? Well, it's loosely connected. Because at the end of chapter 3, he said that we have the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be key to this passage here. You have the Holy Spirit. Then he says, there are false spirits out there. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 6 sums it up nicely for us. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And here's the last sentence. By this we know the spirit of truth that's the Holy Spirit, and the spirit of error. That's the spirit mentioned in verse 1. So there are spirits, and we have the Holy Spirit, but then there's all these other false spirits in the world. And John says, don't believe them. Because if you do, you're not going to have assurance of eternal life anymore. You're going to have an absence of eternal life. People that lead you into false beliefs take you away from Jesus. These, this spirit of error he's talking about is dangerous. There's a lot at stake here for a Christian. Look at some of the things he says about him. 
They're, they're first of all from the world. He says they went out into the world. Verse 5 says this very clearly. They are from the world. They speak from the world. And the world listens to them. So they're coming from this worldly environment. You guys remember in chapter 2 what the world is? It's Satan's racetrack. <laughs> Keeping people making the same left turns. Just stuck in this circle. And what are they following? They're following 2 verse 16 says. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride and possessions. That's what the world seeks after. And they're going in life. Whoa, this makes my flesh feel good. They turn for it. And they're getting it. And then, oh, this, this looks good in my eyes. And they go for it. And then, oh, oh, possessions, pride in that. And they make another left turn. And they just do this over and over, seeking desire after desire after desire. And that's the world. That's the system we're stuck in. And Jesus saves us out of that. And John says that the world is passing away. It's going to be no more. So the spirit of error, the false spirit, comes from the world. And that's his message. It appeals to your flesh, to your eyes, to your pride. It's all about you. It feeds your ego. Um, Notice what else, how dangerous the spirit of error is. Is what it says about Jesus in verse 3, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus is Christ has come, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's good. But, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's a spirit of error. They come and they say that Jesus Christ is not from God. He did not come in the flesh to save us from our sins. And you guys hear this all the time. We, we are bombarded with it in America's philosophical circles. Jesus is a good teacher. He's always put on the same scale as Muhammad, as Buddha, um, Joseph Smith even to a degree. He's put on the same level as all these other names. That totally strips Jesus of his deity. That's, that's the spirit of error. The false philosophies. Um, in verse 3, the last sentence, he says that this is the spirit of Antichrist. Remember, Antichrist is that world leader who's going to come and deny Jesus, saying that he is Jesus, and the world's going to marvel and follow after him. The spirit of that world leader, that blasphemer, is at work in these spirits of error. These messages we're hearing. That is from Antichrist. All these messages are coming against Jesus. And then, finally... In verse 4, it says that we overcome these spirits of error. So you don't want to have any part of these spirits of error because not only are they from the world, not only do they deny Jesus, not only are they from Antichrist, but they're going to be overcome. You don't want to be on the losing end of any battle. That's not eternal life, that's death. So we want nothing to do with these spirits of error. Thus, I think John has properly named them spirit of error versus the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. So you see the contrast. What, then, is a spirit in this context? Because how many of you guys have walked around and seen a little spirit walking around with the title false on its forehead, or error? <laughs> and you, oh, that's the spirit of error. Stay away from that. Or even the spirit of truth. How many of you have seen that? You don't see that. So spirit in this context isn't a person or a thing. Well, it's a thing but not the spirit thing you're thinking of. Spirit here is a system of teaching. A spirit is a teaching. And it's promoted, verse 1 says, by false prophets. So the prophet is the person 
The Spirit is His message. So there are messages of error and there are messages of truth that John's pointing out. So the spirits not to believe, he's saying, come from false prophets. Now, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. You see that in the Old Testament? In fact, they're in the church today. Not prophets, but gifts of prophecy, where people are speaking on me. God speaks through you, pretty much is what happens. A prophet speaks on behalf of God. But a false prophet speaks against God. That's why he's false. So here are these people speaking against God with this spirit or this teaching that denies Jesus that comes from the world, that's of the spirit of Antichrist. That is what we're dealing with. So the system of teaching. It's believable. Verse 1 says don't believe it. It leads you to a confession. As verse 3 says, it denies Jesus. And then the result is, this is Antichrist. This is everything he's going to be. So you're siding with the beast, <laughs> with the losing team, when we buy into spirits and false prophets and unbelief. So, that's what's out there. That's what John says. Now, what we need to do is, he gives us a way to recognize what this teaching is. How you find it. For example, Brandon. He's your teacher every week. I'm giving you a spirit in a sense. A system of teaching. Now you can either be the dumb assumer and say, oh yeah, I believe everything he says. And not knowing, maybe I'm from Antichrist and I'm leading you to hell. <laughs> but of course, well, you know. This is where Christians need to be discerning. So John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirit. So every message you hear ought to be tested. Now, hopefully you guys have tested me in the past and you've, okay, he's a true prophet, we can run with him, good, spirit of truth is coming from him. But if not, here's your test. And if you go to things like, say, the conference this weekend, where this New Zealander will be speaking, I don't know him personally, so you bet I'm putting a test to him. I'm seeing if he's speaking truth to me. This is my soul I'm talking about. I don't want to just take anything anyone says and just build my soul upon it. I want truth. So here's a test that John gives us. Three tests to know is this truth or false. First, what does the Spirit or the teaching say about Jesus? What does it say about Jesus? In verse 2 and 3, that's what he said. You know the Spirit that's from God because it confesses Jesus and the other one doesn't confess Jesus. So if, if you come to like a church every week and the, the, the church never mentions Jesus, there's really not much about Jesus there, get out of there. Why, why are you as a Christian going to somewhere that has nothing to do with Christ? Go find where Jesus is, where the Spirit of Truth is declaring Jesus. And of course, if anyone says that Jesus was just a man, he wasn't God, he never died for our sins, in fact, he never really came to the earth as a, in his flesh, he was just a spirit, get away from that. That's denying the humanity deity of Jesus. And we have to embrace that. So what do they say about Jesus? First, number one test. The clearest test of all. Second. First, what do they say about Jesus? Second, who listens to what they say? Watch that. Look at and notice who's listening to this spirit, this system of teaching. 
That'll tell you a lot about what it came from. Verse 5 says, They, the spirit of error, are from the world. They speak from the world, and what happens? The world listens to them. Why is the world listening to them? Because they're from the world. There is this error out there. And it's very subtle, and this is why you need to use a test. There is a philosophy in the church, not every church, but, you know, I'm just talking general church, that everybody should be a Christian. Is that true? Should everybody be a Christian? That's a trick question. Everybody ought to be. But should we ever look around and see the entire world converted? If that happened, there's a problem. That's what I'm getting to. Jesus never said that Christianity would be the popular movement. He said the opposite. You guys remember what he said? Matthew 7.13 Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That, that's Jesus' own words. That Christianity would be found by the few. You think Jesus would say, Oh yeah, everybody's going to be saved. If the church does their job, everybody's going to be good. And that's the mentality of a lot of churches today. We're messing up because most of America is atheist. Is that the church's fault? To, uh, let me not get ahead of myself. To a degree, yes, churches are messing up. But it's not only the church's fault. If the church was perfect, would everybody be saved? No. Jesus said, few will find it. And when everybody is jumping on the bandwagon of some church's teaching, I would be cautious. When, when President Obama starts supporting it, and all these other people from the world are supporting a teaching from a church, be ye careful, Christian. Because if the world's listening, it's probably because it's from the world. Um, for example, there's a, you know, I, I've talked about this before, just to warn you, just to, you know, um, Rob Bell's new book, Love Wins. And that, if you don't remember me mentioning it, that's a book in which Rob Bell, a very popular pastor, he's the number two podcast on iTunes, um, his messages are, he has basically said that nobody goes to hell, that everybody in the end goes to heaven. Love is going to win. Yeah. And when that message, remember that's a spirit, that's a system of teaching. When that spirit was sent forth, one way I know that that was a false spirit is when I saw the immediate reaction of that message from the world. And Rob Bell is on a seemingly every news station being interviewed about his new book, uh, this Christian pastor. How often does that happen? Every news enterprise wants you on their show. And then, this is what absolutely, uh, this is what just opened my eyes. Time magazine had Rob Bell's book on the cover, and the main article of that week's magazine was devoted to the book. Time magazine, like one of the most secular, democratic magazines out there. That's when I said, yeah, this is a spirit of error. Look at how the world listens to it. So, who is listening to the spirit? 
That's one of the tests. So first, what do they say about Jesus? Second, who's listening to it? And then finally, how does that spirit receive us? Verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Did you catch that? Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Alright. Do they listen to us or do they not? Does this teacher have a Christ-centered biblical theology or is he just spewing off beautiful stories? Does he take the whole Bible as truth or does he pick and choose? Does he listen to the full teaching of Christ? Um, in the college group we're going through John right now the Gospel of John <laughs> surprise like I get First John Sunday Gospel of John Monday I'm like all Johned out great um, and in chapter 8 Jesus' main point he's talking to those who are following him and he's basically what happens is he starts talking so there's this whole crowd following him it says they believe in him they're following they're, they're liking him and then he starts talking and in John when Jesus talks trouble happens. So the more he talks, the more these followers stop liking him and start walking away. The more he talks. Why is that? Because true followers of Jesus love his words. Just his word alone they love. And those who are false, the more Jesus speaks, the more they're going to turn away. I mean, how many people do you know love Jesus oh Jesus he's so cool he's a great role model good teacher or you know they admire him or whatever they don't necessarily hate Jesus so much but when you start to say what Jesus actually said you start to give his word to them how often they get ruffled up they get riled up they no longer like what you're saying just, whoa whoa too radical there Jesus is cool but what you're saying is off the chart stop that but I'm saying what Jesus said but you see Man doesn't truly love Jesus' words. Only true believers love the word. Anything Jesus says, they will still follow. But the more he talks, the more we find false followers. And so, to find out a true or false spirit, see how they handle the words of Christ. Do they listen or do they not? That's how you know. Now, this brings me comfort. Because when we talk to people about our faith, and they laugh at us or they don't accept your message... I can walk away with my head held high and say, I didn't mess up. Because John says they didn't listen to me because they're not from God. And if they're from God, they'll listen to me. So the burden of people's believing isn't on what we say. It's upon God to save them. So if you get rejected, if you're trying to share with somebody and they laugh at you, don't feel like you messed up. John says they're not from God. They don't want to hear it. And those that are from God, they're going to eat your words up. And you might lead that people to Christ. So, we don't have to freak out when we share our faith. That's what, Man, truth like this helped me like in preaching and teaching. It's just like, I no longer have to apologize for saying truth. Because I know if somebody gets mad at something I say, well, fine, you're not from God. We'll pray for you. Hope you someday believe it. But I, you're not mad at me. You're mad at the mess at God. You're mad at His message, His word. And then I can say truth, and, and those who are from God are going to catch it and love it and believe it. So, you know what side they're on by whether or not they listen to truth. 
So those are the three tests. What do they say about Jesus? Who listens to them? And then do they listen to us or not? Those are your three tests. Now, you may at this point wonder, um, yeah, I'm in high school. Maybe I'm in junior high. I don't really care about teachers and stuff. I'm just going to keep on going to church when I get to. Otherwise, I'm not going to care about it. So, Bram, what's the big deal? Furthermore, John, what's the big deal? Why take six verses to interrupt your little love section to tell us to find right teachers and right spirits? What's the big deal? This is a big deal. You're being taught every single day by spirits. Remember, it's a system of teaching. Every day you're being bombarded with teaching. You go to school. Education is bombarding and forming your mind. You hang out with your friends. What they think, laugh at, say, do, it's forming your mind. When you go to your iPod, that, the music on that is forming your mind. When you turn on the TV, the images and the messages there are forming your mind. And of course movies too. All of this forms our minds. And these are intricate parts of our daily fabric. We can't go a day without being taught by these things. So this is a big deal that we find spirits of truth to teach us truth because if we don't listen to a true message on a regular basis, we're going to be conformed to the false message that we get every single day. You see the importance? If this is bombarding us every day, we need a system of truth to build a wall for our soul lest we get led astray. And this is what I call the college crisis. How many high schoolers do you see in youth group, they graduate, they go to college, and some philosopher professor in their philosophy class messes up their faith, and before you know it, they're not going to church, they're not walking with Christ at all. They're drunk at every party on the campus. I'm sure most of you guys know somebody like that. Why is that? Because they didn't value teaching of truth. Yeah, what, it's just like your attitude, whatever, it's not really that important, is it? And then they get to college, and when the spirit of error is blabbed from every professor they hear, they have absolutely no defense system. They don't even know what they believe anymore. We have to have a wall of truth built up. Because daily we're bombarded with the spirit of error. That's why this is important. You can be led astray. So please cherish the truth and seek teachers and prophets and spirits that will give you the truth. Now, Christian, before you freak out, I've got good news for you. Verse 4. Little children. This is, John says that, little children, when he's giving an important word. He really wants them to hear it. So he says, little children. You are from God. Talking to Christians right now. And you have overcome the false spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit within you is greater than the Antichrist spirit speaking false blasphemies in the world. So you go to school and you hear all the false spirits bombarding you. John wants you to know as a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you... It's constantly teaching and reaffirming truth for you, and He is greater than any spirit out there. 
You put the Spirit of God to the test against any other system of teaching, it doesn't stand a chance. And the Christian who's walking with the Spirit and being taught by the Spirit every day of their life is empowered to be greater than any of those other spirits of teaching. You will not be led astray because the Spirit is going to constrain you and hold you and keep you close to the truth in Christ. That's the good news for us. We have overcome because the Holy Spirit teaches us. But now I ask the Christian, are you letting the Holy Spirit teach you? Or is the Holy Spirit a forgotten voice, something you've never heard? You're never, you're never opening the Bible and letting Him speak to you. You're not in prayer, training your ear to hear Him. You're, not, you're hardly, rarely ever going to church, not even sure what the Holy Spirit is. God has given us a gift to preserve you in truth. And it's, with, it's for us to walk in the Spirit. And to rely upon the Holy Spirit to confirm truth to us. You guys, last time when we were in chapter 2 and John started talking about false teachers, remember we talked about Antichrist leaving the church? We know who they are because they, they just totally abandon the church and want nothing to do with it anymore. Um, there he said, in fact, in, in 2 verse 27, you can look at it. He said, but the anointing, that's one of John's words for the Holy Spirit, the anointing that you received from God abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing, or as the Holy Spirit, teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you abiding in Him. You see how many times He said the Spirit teaching you there? You have no need that anybody teach you, because you have the Spirit. What He means is not, okay, but we don't need brand anymore because we have the Holy Spirit. What He means is you don't need to rely upon my words alone as truth. The Holy Spirit will help teach you whether or not what I say is right or wrong. So you can hear a message, you can hear other philosophies, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you apply the tests and know this is good, this is bad. That is what it means to have the Holy Spirit in you. You're no longer depending upon me, you're using me and the Spirit to help grow you. Not just me alone. That's a great gift we have. And we must learn to hear the Holy Spirit. So, that's the good news. Now, I want to finish this section, this message tonight, with, that's great, we got it. We have assurance if we stick with the truth, and we don't get led astray into some false philosophy. So that's how we have assurance, got that. But why is this here, in the middle of this famous love passage, does John take a six-verse timeout and say, alright, let me talk to you about false and true teaching. Why? Why in the middle of love it says, love one another in chapter 3. Then 4, 7, love one another. And then there's this block of, you just like want to erase it and make it flow better. Don't you? <laughs> I did. I was like, what do I do with this? It's messing up my whole outline for John. We have assurance of eternal life because we love one another. This has nothing to do with loving one another. Or does it? Yes, I suggest it does. And this is how. We have assurance of eternal life when we love one another by protecting each other from false spirits. Got that? There are false spirits. And we could have brothers or sisters who are being led astray. But the love and the assurance of our eternal life comes into play when we love each other by keeping them from false spirits, by protecting each other, by reaffirming truth to one another. That, I think, is how this fits in. 
So, how does that work? Three suggestions, and we'll quote, we'll finish. First, if I follow any teaching that I feel like I don't have discernment, I'm not testing spirits, I'm just following whatever I hear. I'm just, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Recklessly, that's the word. Recklessly following whatever teaching. What happens when you follow me? We all start going down the spirit of error. And that's not loving one another. That's me having absolutely no regard for you guys. Just follow whatever. And you, you too, when you follow whatever, you're not caring about the body. You're not thinking about each other. Jesus said in Matthew 18.6, whoever takes one of these little ones, talking about children, and I think his context is young believers in Christ, whoever takes one of these and leads them astray, causes them to stumble, he says, it's better that a millstone be hung around your neck as a huge rock used for crushing grain. It's better that that huge rock is tied around your neck and you're thrown into the depths of the sea. That's a better route for you than to live. That's how severe Jesus said, do not lead others astray. So it's very important that we care about what we're following lest we lead others astray. That's how we love one another. Follow truth. <laughs> Second, Loving one another forms a unity with one another that will not allow us to follow error. Alright? When we love one another, we're like all these little threads that come together and form a quilt. And we're now bound together and cannot follow error or falsehood. We're bound together in the truth. Now, if there's one little guy who decides, I want to stray away, what happens when you pull a thread out of a quilt? Well, I mean, occasionally there's that, that, that like fluke thread that just comes right out, but usually you're starting to tug on the entire quilt. You start pulling on that thread and like it gets cinched up somewhere because that thread's being pulled out and the entire quilt feels the tug. So either you're going to have to, to pull the entire quilt into error or you're going to have to cut the string off and then let it go into error. That's the idea when we love one another. We're so unified that we can't have another falling error without us feeling it. And so then we'll go and we'll protect them and we'll instruct them in the truth. So either that individual has to pull all of us into error or he has to cut himself off from us and just go his own way. So that's why love is important. It protects us in the truth. It makes us this one unity. I borrowed that analogy, by the way, of the quilt and thread from Paul in Colossians chapter 2. He said that very thing. He said, Be knit together in love, lest you be led astray in false philosophy. That's what he said. So, unity definitely protects us. And then third, hearing from the Holy Spirit causes us... No, no, let me rephrase that. Loving one another causes us to hear from the Holy Spirit. Remember that we overcome false teaching because of the Spirit within us? But that's not going to do anything if you don't hear the Holy Spirit. And you only hear from the Spirit if we're loving each other. If we're not, you're not going to hear from the Spirit. I get this from 3 verse 24, alright? I'm going to show you the logic here, and then, like I said, this is the final point. So, look at 3 verse 24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God abides in him and by this we know that he abides in us God abiding in us 
by the Spirit whom He's given us. Now, let me break this down and you'll see the logic. Whoever keeps His commandments, context, He's talking about love one another. So whoever sacrificially gives to each other keeps God's commandments. Result, we abide in God, God abides in us. Which means the Holy Spirit who teaches us truth is in us. Alright, those are the three points. Now let me reverse that and make a lot of sense. Because we have the Holy Spirit teaching us truth within us, we know that we abide in God when we love one another. In short, you only hear from the Holy Spirit when you're loving one another. So as I'm demonstrating sacrificial generosity for the brethren, loving them, and I have assurance of eternal life, I'm clearly hearing from the Spirit of God because I know the Spirit of God's in me. But the minute I start holding up grudges, building up walls against us, hating each other, not just doing my own little thing, indifferent towards the other Christian brothers and sisters, I numb my senses to what the Holy Spirit is teaching me. And then I will never have a buffer against falsehood. I'm just going to go to whatever, listen to whatever spirit and be led astray that way. So that's how I see the love one another fitting in with this random passage. <laughs> so, in conclusion, we thus see, we have assurance of eternal life when we love one another by protecting each other from the spirit of error. So, Father, it is our prayer that we would indeed learn to just full, open-heartedly love one another and, and to be the sacrificial, generous givers. And, 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 Lord, that we would be Christians with assurance to walk in full confidence of our faith with you. So, Father, when there is truth and error, may we see it. Let your Spirit instruct us and teach us and scream to us not to go down that road, but to walk closely and to hang tightly to the truth. May we never be led astray, but let your Spirit overcome within us. So thank you for making us greater than them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.